You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Again, if you're a guest, welcome. I'm Bill. I'm one of the pastors on staff. We have been in the series since about January, actually, and uh, hopefully by the end of the summer, we'll be wrapping it up in the book of Exodus. So we're going to be in Exodus chapter 20 today. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you, and we'll have, we'll have it on the screen as well. Uh, for you to follow along. So, um, so once in a while, I'll get someone will come up to me, they'll email me, they'll text me, and they'll be like, I have a, a serious question for you. I'm like, okay. I'm expecting some deep question about spiritual gifts or Calvinism or you know, something you know, kind of in that world. They'll be like, all right, we're gonna show our kids the Star Wars movie. Which order should we do it in? <laughs> Which, by the way, I am an expert on, okay? I have a theology degree and I am a, uh, a, a non-certified, but pretty much an expert on that. So I have an answer to that. And the right answer is Rogue One, original trilogy, J.J. Abrams trilogy, forget the first trilogy. That's the answer, okay? But the point of that, the reason that question is asked of me is because there's an understanding that I can't just jump into the middle because there's all this stuff that's happened before and after and I don't know all the characters and I, so I need to know what's going on. So tell me how to do that. That's really what we're at when we're in, in, in the 10 commandments. It's easy to kind of zoom in on the 10 commandments and think it's a bunch of lists of don'ts and do's. That's the, remember, remember where we're at. This is in the context of the story of Exodus where God's people were slaves. He has rescued them. He has freed them. He has led them to himself. And now he is entering into covenant with them and saying, now, here's how I've shown you covenant love. I've purchased you. I've rescued you. This is how you show me covenant love. Here is my law. It is for your good. Remember, it is for a purchased people and a priestly people. It is for a peculiar people. It is for a precious people. And so he says, this is, this is what I want you to be. This is what I'm doing in your life. And so this is why you can't just jump in. We're gonna jump into commandment number five today. And, and you can't just jump into commandment five and think it's a bunch of do's and don'ts and be nice little kids and don't murder anybody and don't steal anybody's car and, and okay, we're good. That's not the point. You gotta go back to the beginning and, and understand the, the very first commandment that there is one God and you were to worship him rightly. And we're to honor his name and we're to honor his day and we're to rest in him. And once you get the first four, that vertical relationship with God, then you can start talking about these horizontal relationships. That's why the Lord Jesus says, the, the, the summary is of the, of the law is love God. That's first. And then love your neighbor. So we can't just jump in and say, be good little boys, listen to your mom and dad. And, and, and because if we do, we'll miss the point. Because in the end, the law has always, always, always not been an external thing. It's been about the heart. It's been about the heart. It's not just about saying yes, ma'am, and yes, sir. Any Southerner can do that. It's not about not killing someone. Most of us are pretty good at that, right? It's, it's a deeper thing that the Lord Jesus is gonna teach us. And so we're gonna see that today because we don't wanna be like the prophets say, these people, they acknowledge me with their lips. They sing the songs, but their hearts are far from me, all right? So we're gonna see these commandments, but then we're gonna get to the heart of them and why they're significant for us. And it's just, just three little verses this morning, all right? Three little verses, let me read them to you. Verse 12, honor your father and your mother. Your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery, all right? You think that's, that's a short passage. It's even shorter in the Hebrew. The, the second two commands are literally two words. No murder. No adultery, right? Uh, we're gonna start with commandment number five, though, and I know all the parents are like, yes, this is why I came today. You listen up, kids. 
I didn't let you go to class today because I wanted you to hear Pastor Bill. Commandment number five is actually a significant command. It's a hinge commandment. It kind of transitions from those commandments about God into those about man. But, but what number one is to love God, to, to honor the one true God uh, to, the, to the first four. Number five is to the rest, right? Because where do you learn ultimately to love your neighbor? You learn it in the home, all right? So let me give you some observations, kind of just basic Bible study methods. We'll unpack this command and then we'll kind of talk about what it looks like for us, all right? Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God has given you. Real simple. And the, the, the command, the action point is the word honor. Very vague, kind of big picture, right? What does it mean to honor? The Hebrew word is kavod. It means heaviness, weight, even glory. There's a reverence. There is an honor that you are to show to who? Here's the second observation. Both mom and dad, not mom and not dad, not dad and not mom, both mom, both dad, equal, both worthy, not because of their lives, because of their position of father and mother. Here's another observation. Notice there is no condition because all you're like, the first question all good Americans ask is, when do I not have to do it, right? And so there is no condition, honor your father and mother. Well, what if they're not a Christian? Honor your father and mother. What if they're a knucklehead? Honor your father and mother. What if they're, they're gone? What if they passed away? Honor your father and mother. It's, it's not a conditional deal. Now, we'll talk about a little bit more detail, okay, how that looks, but it is a, it is a command. These are not the 10 suggestions. This is a command. Honor your father and your mother. And this is a command that has a promise. It has a result, right? That it may go well with you in the land. You'll live long in the land. What does that mean? It's not promising if I obey my mom and dad, I will live to 110. Yay. That's not what it's promising, okay? That's not the idea. Remember, this is a, it's a Mosaic covenant for the people of God that they would live in the land of Canaan. And the key for them living in the land of Canaan was what? Them following their God, them loving their God, them fearing their God. Where are they learning to love their God, to follow their God, to fear their God? They're learning it in the home. That's where they're learning it. So this commandment, really, the, the beginning of loving your neighbor as yourself, where do you learn it? In the home. This is the way it's been. Okay, as goes the family, goes so, so goes the nation. Civilizations, they, they flourish or destroy based on the family. It's just the way it's been. That's where you learn to honor others. That's where you learn to live with other people, be respectful. That's where you learn this, this principle of authority, which is really what this is about, where you are putting yourself under someone else because regardless of where you are, how high you go up, there's always authority. And so it starts... Loving your neighbor at its core, this is why it's significant, this is why it's big, starts in the home. And unless you think this, well, this is kind of one of those lesser commandments, right? Because it's like, it's not like don't murder and steal, right? It's kind of like, yeah, it's nice to you. Here's the consequence, just so you see, under the old covenant for, for being a rebellious teenager. Teenagers, pay attention, right? Here's what Deuteronomy says. Man has a stubborn, rebellious son. Anybody? All right, you got a stubborn, rebellious? Here's for you. Who will not obey the voice of his father and voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, he will not listen. Then his father and mother shall take him in front of the elders of the city, at the gate where the place he lives, and they shall say to to the elders, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He's a glutton and a drunkard. 
that all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from Israel. Again, it's teenagers. There you go. All right. Now, thankfully, we're under the old, not under the old covenant. We're under the new. But by the way, this gives us a little insight into the prodigal of the parable son, does it not? When the son goes off and he's a glutton and he's a drunkard and he comes home and at the moment his dad should be taking him in front of the elders for stoning, what happens? My son is home. He throws a ring on him and he throws a barbecue and he restores him. That's called grace. That's called hope for the wayward son. So it gives some insight to that. But understand, this is a serious deal because as goes the family, so goes the nation. Right? So it's, it's a big deal. And here's one more observation. And I think this is key for application. Who's the command for? Because I think the temptation for us is to think, this is a command for the little ones in the room. You know, it's kind of like some of you grew up in a denomination. It's like, time for the children's sermon. All the kids come down front. Okay, little kids, everyone love everybody. You know, you, you do that. It's, this is, yeah, sure, the kids are there. But this is not a command for the kids. This is a command for the nation, for the adults in the room, because there's two big kind of principles behind this. Number one, the idea of honoring your father and mother, it's really honor everybody. And and you learn how to honor everybody by honoring your father and mother. But the point is you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. Peter is gonna expand it in the New Testament. He's gonna say, honor all people. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. You're supposed to honor everywhere. Where do you learn that? In the home. The second thing is this. Who's the one that's supposed to teach the kids to honor the parents? Who's the one that's supposed to live in a way that's honorable? Who's the one that's supposed to train them? It's the parents. It's the adults. So the command is for the adults to teach the younger. And so I wanna, I wanna kind of get practical with this and I kind of wanna work through different groups in the room, all right, of what this may look like. It's not everything there is, but it's kind of broad stroke. And so I wanna start with the children, Right, because you set, before you start driving, drawing dinosaurs and you know playing Angry Birds or whatever on your phone, listen, listen up. Okay, this is free. And, and children is a broad scope. What I mean by children is your parents are paying your car insurance. You you don't pay your cell phone. You're a children. I don't care if you're 19 year old children. If you don't pay your own car insurance, you're a children. All right. Uh, you don't buy your own Frosted Flakes. You uh, you drive your parents' car. Okay, this is for you, down to, you know, three years old. All right, here's, here's what the Apostle Paul would say to you, and here's what the, the, the commandment means for you. He expands it in Ephesians 5 or 6. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then he quotes the commandment, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. So for you, I know you think you're brilliant, and you may be. I know that you think your parents are trying to destroy your life. I promise you they are not. If anything, no one has sacrificed for you like your parents have. No one has, has loved you like them. And so what, what the Lord would say to you this morning is obey. Obey them. Okay? It, it, it may, you may think, oh, I don't want to do that. It's foolish. I don't have to. You know, I know better. No. It is, and he gives two reasons. Number one, because this pleases God. This, this is honorable to God. This is right. So that's what that little phrase, in the Lord. It doesn't mean if my parents are Christian. It means this is, this is what is honoring to God. This is what is good. And, and so I would say the most significant thing, 12-year-old, 13-year-old, 18-year-old, that you can do to show that you are a follower of the Lord Jesus is not do a long, quiet time and put your hands up in the air and journal all day. The most significant thing that you can do to prove that you are a follower of Jesus is to obey your mom and dad, period. That's, that's huge. Because if you can learn to obey them, 
you're gonna have success. And that's the second point. He says, he says this may, may go well with you in the land. And again, there's a covenantal promise, but there's just a practical promise. If you can learn to follow the authority of your parents, you can thrive on a team, you can thrive in a classroom, you can thrive in an office, you can thrive anywhere. If you constantly push back and you know better and you're, you're bucking authority, it is, you're gonna have more challenges in the world than if you will learn to follow authority, right? It's, it's just a general principle. You're gonna be more hireable. You're gonna be more desirable to, to be in a group. and in a, It's just going to go well in general. It doesn't mean you're not gonna get sick. It doesn't mean you're gonna live at 90, but you will have more success if you can learn the principle of authority. It just is what it is. You can ask any boss, CEO in this room, who do they want? Someone that shows up on time, does their job, is respectful, period. Where do you learn that? By honoring mom and dad, simple, simple, all right? So three words for you. Let me give you three words, y'all. Again, this is for the, I don't pay my own insurance crowd, right? Number one word you need, yes. Can you take out the garbage for me? Yes. Can you take your brother to T-ball? Yes. Can you please clean up your room? Yes. It's, it's a simple word, but it's a powerful word. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. And do it with a smile. Get your heart and your head in line. It's a great word, right? And, and, make, and for you older teenagers, 16, 15, to 19, to 20, have some integrity. I, I, and I know that there's this rite of passage to, I have to rebel. and I have, No, you don't. You don't have to be a sneaky liar. You really don't. You don't have to be hiding in a Finsta. You don't have to be hiding a phone. You don't have to be lying about where you're at. You don't have to be leaving your car and someone else's, your phone in someone else's car so your mom thinks because she's got 360 that you're here but you're really over there. Yes, we know. Be, have some integrity. Because what you're doing, I know you think it's just, well, it's just, I'm just 17, I'm doing that. You're setting yourself up and setting patterns in your life that will ultimately destroy you. You don't think so because you're 17. I promise you, you're becoming, your, your character is being shaped even as a 15 or 16 year old. Just be honest. Do what your parents say. Go where they say. Don't go where they don't say, right? First word. Second words. Thank you. It's a big one. Everyone say it right now. If you're a kid, if you're under 21, you don't pay a card insurance, say thank you. Turn to someone and your right or left, say thank you. Thank you. Yeah, there you go. Thank you for taking me to t-ball games that are boring. Thank you for paying for my teeth to be straight. Orthodontist bills. Thank you for driving me to friends' parties, for fill in the blank. Thank you for changing nasty, dirty diapers, for cleaning up throw up at three in the morning, for taking you to the ER. So you, again, you have no concept. You will one day of the sacrifice and the love and the tiredness and the tears and the everything that your parents go through. And so a little appreciation instead of entitlement. There's nothing more frustrating than an entitled 16-year-old. There's just not, right? That arrogance, right? I know your, parent, your buddy's parents bought him a new car and you have to drive the old Nissan and blah, 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 blah. Thank you that I have a car. It used to be you drove a 1979 station wagon. You were thankful because you had a car and you weren't riding this thing called the bus that you don't even know what it is anymore, right? Be thankful. There's something about gratitude that is godly, that is thankfulness. And so thank you. Here's the last word. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I was disrespectful. I'm sorry I didn't clean my room. 
I'm sorry I wasn't home at 1130 like I said I would be. You want to adult? You want to be an adult? Start owning your deal. Start owning it. Parents, you can say, we can say I'm sorry too. We're allowed. And we should. But there's something about humility uh, that God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So that is for y'all non-paying your own insurance crowd. All right. Let's move to the next stage, which I don't really have a name for. I was going to call it the Middle Ages, but that's kind of a dark period in life and so in our country, in the world. So it's not the Middle Ages, but here you pay your own car insurance. Maybe you're a newlywed. You don't have kids yet. You're in that season. Maybe it's 22 to 40. I don't, I don't know. But you, uh, you, you have parents, uh, but, you, but you don't have kids kind of thing. How do you, you don't have to obey your parents anymore because you're paying your own car insurance. Praise the Lord. And they're happy too. But you do have to honor them. You do have to honor them. Even if, you know, I was talking to a, a young lady earlier after first service, her, her father had passed away and how do I honor her? I said, well, you, one way is you don't talk garbage about your parents. My parents, da, 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 da. that's the way you honor them. They may have been a bad dad. They may have been abused. They may have been all these things. You, and you're not honoring what they did. You're honoring the position. You don't have to talk garbage about them to the brothers and to the sisters. You don't have to trash them. Here's what I would say. Call them once in a while. Call your parents. All right, reach out. Some of you haven't called your mom in a while. Reach out, text them, send a picture. Send a picture of the dog, of the goldfish, of the whatever you have. Tell them, call them this afternoon. Say, Pastor Bill told me to call you. So what do you want to talk about? I don't care, blame it on me, right? But there, that's a way you honor. If you can, be there for holidays. I know it's hard if you know your, your parents live in Kalamazoo and her parents live in, in LA and you can't, you know, but try your best to see them once in a while. Thank them. Thank you for paying for college Thank you for that first car that ran for a couple years so that I could get my feet. Yeah, just be grateful. That's the way you can honor your mom and your dad. Next phase is those who do have children in the home, right? And this is, again, the command is for parents. And a couple years ago, we did a series. We called it Legacy. You can go back. It's on our SoundCloud and deep dive on some of these issues. I'm going to kind of give you some high points from that. Uh, but the idea is this, it is your job to equip and train your children, whatever kind of schooling you do, homeschool, private school, public school, to do what is good and right. Uh, now, again, they're going to make their own choices, but it, it's your job to equip them, to honor all men, to do what is good and right. And so in the first few years, we, we kind of broke this down again a couple years ago. We did a sermon on each one. And the first couple years, first zero to five, zero to six, you want to be uh, teaching your children, you're establishing authority in the home. What that means is there's clear direction. Clean your room. Don't stick your finger in the socket. Um, you know, don't touch the hot thing. You know, make, do these things. Put your shirts away. You're, you're establishing authority. You're giving uh, appropriate consequences for not doing it. So if you do not clean your room, then you cannot watch Tom and Jerry later. If, you know, I don't know if Tom and Jerry's still around. It should be. It was awesome. Uh, but hey, whatever, blues, I don't know what the cartoons are these days. Little kids are watching anime at three years old. I don't know, but whatever. <laughs> if you don't do this, then this is what will happen. And there's, con it, it, they, punishment fits the crime, but there's, you're teaching them to say, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, that you are, are God's ordained authority. Why? Because ultimately they're gonna put their lives under him. That's what you want. Here's one thing that I see that's going on way too much in young parents. You're giving your children way too many choices. What do you three-year-old want for dinner? Well, I would like this. What is this, the Ruth Crisp? You will have hot dogs and mac and cheese. That is on the menu tonight. If you don't like it, fine, don't eat. 
Because what we're doing, I know it seems friendly. Oh, this kid gets this, and this one wants gluten-free cupcakes, and this one wants this, and this one wants this. And what we're doing is we are teaching our children they are elevated and they are more important than they ought not to be. They, you're giving them choices they can't handle. Right, And so you don't, you're giving them an elevated view of self. And so when they're 13, they're gonna think it's their right to have a Beamer and a Louis Vuitton something or other because they've never learned humility. So feed them mac and cheese and hot dogs tonight. Amen. <laughs> and if they don't like it, sorry. Right? Teach them to value others. That if there's one cookie left, that they don't just say like, I'm, I'm gonna take that cookie. What do they do? They say, would anyone else like this cookie? Or would anyone like to split this cookie? What you're teaching them is to value others. So that when you're talking to your friend, you, you know, and, you're, and, and you're, your ladies are in a little discussion, you don't have a two-year-old terror who busts in and breaks up the whole deal. That you say, hold on, sweetie, I'm talking right now. Can you just hold one second? Say, excuse me, you're teaching them to value others. That's what you're doing. Right, you're establishing authority. In the second kind of middling ages, six to 12, 13, whatever, you're developing responsibility. So what you're teaching them is to work and to do tasks and to uh, accomplish things. And you're giving them little responsibilities. There should be chores. Your yard does not have to look like Augusta National. Your eight-year-old can mow the lawn, right? And in fact, I would argue that it is more important for your eight-year-old boy to mow the lawn than your yard to be Augusta National, because no one cares in the end, but that little eight-year-old who grows up to do something and accomplish something, he's gonna remember, I learned to do the lawn. And then his grandkids, your grandkids are gonna learn to do the lawn because he did the lawn, and so they're gonna do the lawn, and it's gonna be a great, great legacy of lawns in your family. (laughs) But the idea is you're developing responsibility, teaching them about money, how to give, how to save. You want that $250 surfboard? Awesome. I will give you half if you save up half. What did you just teach them? That things cost. And you taught them to work and to earn something. And maybe you're the one paying them. I'll pay the fence. I'll pay you $10 an hour. And I'll... you're teaching them how life works because in real life, there's not a participation trophy. There's just not, right? Everyone's not safe like Clint's T-ball team that he taught about a few weeks ago. Sometimes you're out and you strike out and that's the way life is. And you're helping to develop that responsibility. Don't focus merely on the physical. Those are far, the spiritual matters. Teach the why behind the what. Why do I work hard? Here's why you work hard. Because God has created you as a worker and it is good. And if you're a lawyer or you're a plumber or you're a school teacher, it's awesome and it honors God. And so we do it well. That's why we clean our room well, right? That's why you throwing clothes under your bed is demonic. (laughs) And it smells too, but because it's not honoring to God because you're sneaking. This is why we don't watch this kind of show because this kind of show is bad for our heart. And we know that if we fill our minds with garbage, garbage in, garbage out, and it's it's an honoring God thing. So we're not gonna watch that or we're gonna get one of those filter things so that I don't have to have those things in the movie, right? It's the why behind. This is why we don't tease other people right? Because God is kind. And so we're to be kind. This is why when there's a bully picking on someone that you stand up for the one getting picked on. And if you have to get in the way and there's a little violence, it's okay. Because you stood up for the widow and the orphan because that's what God does. See, it's the why behind. That's what you're doing. You're developing responsibility. And the last stage is you are facilitating independence so that they are off your insurance policy. And you're trying to launch them. And so you have freedoms 
but freedoms are tied to responsibilities. And so, yes, you can drive, right? This 1979 Chevy, that's right. But if you get C's, I'm going to drop you off in front of your school in my pajamas with curlers in my hair. There is, there, see, there's consequences and freedoms. And if you, don't, if you don't meet the responsibilities, right? Because that's how the real world works. You show up at 8.30 when you're supposed to be there at 8, what happens? Fired. You don't do the job that you say you're gonna do, fired. There's real life and there's consequences and you're teaching that. And so, and it's hard to be consistent with that. I get it because you don't wanna take the kid to school and take the car away. I understand. But we gotta we got teach that thing. So you're, you're facilitating that. You're, you're, you're making clear certain things before you launch them off into schools where they're gonna hear a bunch of garbage about gender and identity and sexuality and all these things. So you're clear, this is, the, this is what God says about gender. This is what God says about relationships. This is what God says about uh, work. Now, whether or not they choose to follow that, you can't force that, but you can teach that. That's the idea. You teach them that school when you're 16, is their job, right? Maybe they work at Chick-fil-A too, but your job is school, right? And and I know high school, oh, Mike Zuckerberg dropped out of Harvard. Good, get into Harvard and then you can drop out, okay? (laughs) But for right now, your job is school. And you don't have to get straight A's because some of you are just straight B students and that's me. Praise, Praise the Lord for B students. They rule the world. But, you are going to do your best because it's your job and we're gonna work heartily for the Lord and not for man, right? That's the idea. That's what we're doing, all right? So that is high level. Again, I did, we did three weeks on that a few years ago. You can go back and find that. The next phase is who? Is, is those of us who have, a, uh, have elderly parents. It was awesome after first service. I heard had another couple come up to me and said, we haven't been here in a year because my mom who is 80 something is, is got sickness and she's, you know, she's at home and so, and we brought her to live with us. I said, that's exactly what honoring your mom and dad are. It is, I know that we have a world that wants to give everything to the government. If your parents are older, one of the ways you honor your parents is you become parents to your parents. And that's challenging, I know. But here, here's what you need to understand. It's not, it's not a, a distraction from life. It's not. It is life. And it is an honoring thing to God. Remember the Lord Jesus on the cross? You know, Father, forgive them for they know what, what they do. I thirst. He says all these statements. You know what one of his seven statements from the cross is? It's Jesus taking care of his mom. He looks down at his cousin, John, the apostle, and says, uh, behold your mother. What he's saying there is, take care of my mom. Even in his last moments, the Lord Jesus is honoring his mom, caring for her. 1 Timothy 5 says, if you do not care for your family, that you are worse than an unbeliever. And I know that it's challenging and that maybe they live in Kalamazoo and stuff, but you have to figure out a way to care for our older parents because it honors God. It is the way you honor this command. And Jesus slams the Pharisees when they, when they are keeping the law and they say, well, we have all this money and we're supposed to use it to take care of our parents, but they say, it's Corban, it's dedicated to the church. I'm giving this money to the church. He says, no, no, you give that money to your parents. You think that you can get out of this. No, no, you're, you're just trying to play the game. You honor your mom and dad, right? And so this is, again, this is all about, it's not just honoring parents, it's honoring everybody. Because a people that will honor people, right, they're gonna create uh, a family and a people that love their neighbor as their self. 
All right, so that's a big command and it's a hinge command. I spent most of my time there uh, because that one's significant. Because if you can teach to honor, we're gonna take care of the murder. I'm gonna take care of the adultery, right? At least on the surface. Next one, verse 13. You shall not murder. I was talking to one of our attorneys this week. He said, you know, from an, and then I'm not an attorney and I don't play one on TV, but he said this. Uh, the best laws that are written are negative in nature because they're clear. They're very clear of what not to do, right? The only two commandments that are positive are uh, remember the Sabbath and honor your father and mother, which are very vague. This one's pretty clear. No murder. No murder. And murder is a different word, by the way, than kill. Okay, there's a different word for kill. Murder is, is something different. So let me tell you what it's not, and then I'll tell you what it is. What it's not is uh, self-defense. Uh, it's, and there's things in the law for that. It's not war. It's not capital punishment. In fact, uh, where you are politically on capital punishment, uh, that's fine. But let me just tell you this. The Bible is not anti-capital punishment. In fact, it is pro-capital punishment. Paul says that the government bears the sword for nothing. Uh, he says, you should fear the government because they don't bear, for the, uh, bear the sword for nothing. Genesis 9, which is pre-law, says, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Why? Because it's the value of man and woman. Those who are made in God's image has nothing to do with anything but that. That all men, all women, doesn't matter race, disability, age, fill in the blank. Where you're from, your political spectrum, what baseball team you like, all men and women are created in God's image and thus have value, right? And so life is to be protected. And so this is actually, capital punishment is actually deterrent against that because it's to show you do this, this is what's gonna happen. And, and so the command here is against intentional killing and if you are negligent in a way that, that someone dies, it's also the same thing. So it's not just, it's not just murder, it's, I was negligent and someone died because of me. In fact, there's an example. Let me give you one. This is kind of funny and uh, you know, not really relevant to us, I guess. But when your ox gores a man, if you got an ox, guard your ox. If your ox gores a man or woman to death, the ox shall be stoned. Its flesh shall not be eaten. But the owner is not liable. Your, your ox just had a bad day. He went out and ran over somebody. Okay, you're fine. But if your ox is accustomed to goring people, he's got a, he likes to gore people. Your ox is a dangerous ox. And you know he's a dangerous ox. And you've been warned he's a dangerous ox. And then it kills a man or woman. The ox is stoned and you die too. Why? Because you were negligent and caused someone to die. It's all about the value of human life. This is why abortion is wrong. It's sin. It is murder. Okay? It's not a political issue. It is a biblical issue. This is why euthanasia is wrong. It is sin. I'm not talking about hospice care terminating treatment. I'm talking about terminating life. Why? Because the value of those made in the image of God, All right? And it's very interesting. I was reading this week in just preparation for this that the first, the first nation in the world that actually legalized euthanasia was like uh, Denmark. And uh, they, in like 2002, 2001, something like that, they legalized it. 50, 60 years before during World War II, it was the, the doctors from Denmark that refused to kill the disabled and the elderly when the Nazis commanded them to. And in 50, 60 years, they had gone from, this was a war crime to, this is an act of compassion. That's what happens when you reject the truth of God, right? And so the command is no intentional murder, no, no negligence murder, but I know it's really easy for us to be like, whew, 
Praise the Lord, I'm good on that one. Haven't, haven't done that yet. This is where the Lord Jesus takes it to the next level for us. Look what he says. Sermon on the Mount. He's talking to the Pharisees. You've heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder. That's right, no murder. And those who murder will be liable to judgment. Amen, fry them, right? But I say to you, and who's the only one that can take the law and expand it? The one who wrote the law, by the way. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother, guilty. Whoever insults his brother, guilty. Whoever says, makes fun of someone, calls them a bad name, raka, you fool. Guilty of hellfire. So all you're like, oh, I will never murder. Now your heads are down. Because how many of us this week have been unrighteously angry at some point? Somebody was on the Truman trying to get on. And for some reason, Southerners, you don't realize that the on-ramp is for you to speed up to 55 miles an hour. You think it's, no, it's just like 35 all the way. And then I'm supposed to move over right in the side of some truck. Get to 55, floor it. But you were yelling at that person. Come on, lady. Get back to the landings. Hurry up, you old lady. Right? Guilty, Jesus says. Because it's not just the act, it is the intent and the heart. Anger, bitterness, yelling at your mom, talking trash about your boss, slandering your neighbor. Jesus says, guilty. And he doesn't just want us to purge the act of murder. He wants to purge the source of it, which is the anger in your heart, which eventually can get there. And here's where he deep dives and goes even deeper. It's not just taking out your anger. He wants you actually to help eliminate the anger in others. And so the next verse, he says, so if you're offering a gift at the altar and there you remember your brother has something against you, that means you've done something to make him angry. You're not the angry one. They're the angry one. He says, stop. Stop mid-giving, stop mid-singing, stop mid-sermon. You go and fix it. You reconcile with your brother. You own your deal so that you can subside his anger. That's the next, next, next level, right? And the point is this. Because people have inherent value because they're made in God's image, we are to be kind and love and gentle and hospitable. He's gonna say later in the Sermon on the Mount, pray for your enemies. And it's really easy to find enemies in America these days because our country, and I think our enemy, wants to divide churches and people. And so we have categories for everything these days, don't we? You got the mask wearers, you got the non-mask wearers, you got the working class, you got the white evangelical, you got the Asian American, Hispanic American, African American. We got, we got categories on steroids, the oppressors, the oppressees. We got it all, right? And the solution is always some, oh, we got this new theory, we got this CRT, we got political this. No, you know what the solution is for all the isms and all the chaos in America? There's only one. It's called the gospel, where God loves his enemies and made him, them his children. So now his children love their enemies. That is the solution, that you are kind to people who are not like you, that you are gentle to those who are harmful. This is difficult, is it not? Yes, that's the point. And, there, and then when we realize, when I'm basically committing murder in my heart when I yell at my kids, that's when I say, well, who can keep this law? And the answer is there was one. And remember, I told you 
weeks ago when we, before we got the Ten Commandments, what's one of the purposes of the Ten Commandments? To show you that you couldn't keep it so that you would put your hope in the Lord Jesus who was tempted in all ways yet without sin. Never once did he hate, never once did he dishonor his mom and dad. And that's why when you fail, you run to him. But that's not an excuse for us to be grumpy, angry, honking our horn at the old lady heading back to the landings, right? Because we are a priestly people and we are a precious people and we're to be a peculiar people. And so my question for you, applicationally be, who do you need to say you're sorry to today? Who do you need to run to and deal? Who do you need to solve the anger issue with? Because some of you are just slaying people all over the place spiritually, but you think you're innocent and you're not. This is for all of us, this is for me. All right, I'll move on, I'm too convicted. Next, last one, and we'll keep high level here because we got little ears in the room and I deep dived on this a couple years ago, got a, lot, got a lot of feedback on it. We did a series called A Better Way about two years ago and it dealt with uh, all the issues with adultery and stuff. Let me tell you this from a pastor's perspective, 90% of the junk that we deal with and the devastation that we see is related to this commandment. It just is, I promise you. Marriage issues, personal issues, it's related to this commandment. And just like before, it's not just about having an affair. Jesus takes it deeper. You've heard it said, you should not commit adultery, yes. In fact, 90% of Americans would say adultery is wrong. Now, they might not define it the same way as Jesus does, but they would say it's wrong. But here's what he says. I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery. It's about the heart. It begins in the heart. I heard a pastor say this week and I thought it was super helpful. He said, we put a line over here for adultery. Here's the line for adultery. And, and then we're over here and we feel like we've created all these little lines like here, here, here. And it's okay to cross these, cross these, cross these, but I haven't crossed the actual line of had an affair. So we play for it. We got a little flirty, flirty, a little internet, this, a little that. And he says, we need to start seeing these lines as the sin. And we need to start, this is the only sin uh, one of the only sins that God doesn't tell you, resist it and do this. He says, run, flee immorality. That's what he says. Why? Because I know that there's this idea in the church and it's true, all sin is sin, yes. But not all sin has the same consequences. There are certain sins that are more devastating to you than others. I'm telling you, this is one of them. It's one thing to drop an F-bomb on the beach. It's another thing to, to have an affair or to be an affair in the mind or to destroy a family. I'm telling you, the repercussions are huge. And it comes from the heart. And this is why Jesus says this. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. And he tells a bunch of things that come out. Immorality, that's the, the Greek word porneia. That's, that covers, here, here's the definition of porneia. Any physical relationship outside the context of one man, one woman in covenant marriage. Anything. You're like, well, that, that's broad. Yeah, one man, one woman, I use my words very carefully, one man, one woman, physical relationship. Anything outside of that is called porneia. And so if you're like, well, Jesus never said anything about homosexuality. Yeah, he did. He covers it with that word. Jesus never said anything about this. He, says, he covers sensuality, he covers adultery. We're talking about dressing a certain way, acts, thoughts, everything. You wanna deep dive it? Go listen to the series we did a few years ago. The apostle Paul reaffirms it in 1 Timothy when he says, we know the law is good when you use it lawfully, he says, it's written for the lawless and the disobedient. And he works, look what he does there. He works his way through the 10 commandments. He says, those who strike their father and mother, what's that? Commandment five. Those who um, are murderers, command six. Those who are sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, command seven. Enslavers, that's next week, stealing. 
That's commandment eight. Liars, that's commandment nine. He's working through the law saying, these are, they, yeah, you're not under the Mosaic law, but you're still, these are still what God says. And here's, here's my plea to you. Singles, married, older, whatever. This is what Paul says. Be imitators of God as a beloved children. You are God's beloved children. Think about that. That's the motivation. Walk in love as Christ loved us. That's, that's the opposite of commandment of murder, right? Walk in love as Christ loved us. He gave us himself as a fragrant offering and sacrifice. But sexual immorality, porneia, and all impurity or covetousness must not be named among you. As is what? Proper among the saints. If you are a follower of the Lord Jesus, and many of you are, most of you are, some of you are not. But if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a saint, you are a holy one, you are a priest, you are a child of God. And my plea would be this, walk in a way that there's not a hint, that, it, that immorality is not named. So you're dating, are you dating in a way where immorality is not, there's not even an option, right? Because some of you are like, well, it's not a big deal, it's not a big deal, we're, we're gonna get married anyway, we're just living together. It is a big deal. If you are living together, even if you're like, we're being pure, which is it's sketchy at best. There's a, there, people don't think that. They think, no, they're not being pure. It's not even named among you, right? If you are a little flirty, flirty at the office with the person that you're a little close and you look forward to that time when they come to the coffee pot or whatever, all right, you need to flee. You need to get a transfer. You need to get a, a new job. You need to do whatever, Right? It's because you're playing with fire and you think, well, I would never cross the line. I'd never get over here. You, to whom he thinks he stand, take heed lest he fall. You better flee. I'm just telling you. You think that you can take fire. Can a man take fire into his bosom and not get burned? No, you cannot. It may be one year, maybe five years, it may be 10 years. And so what you need to do is you need to visualize if I cross that line, what's gonna happen? I'm gonna have to have a conversation with my teenage boys and say, I was unfaithful to mom and that's why I have to leave. You wanna have that conversation? You wanna tell your kids that? You wanna tell your future spouse? Yeah, this is what I was doing. And I know that some of you have struggled with this, some of you have passed and we have, we, we have something for that in a second, but here's what I say. And visualize if you're a single, what do you want your future spouse doing now? What do you want them doing now? Then you do that, right? Not a hint. This is proper among the saints. And if you failed, here's, here's the good news. Praise God. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That that sin was paid for at the cross. First Corinthians 6, Paul lists all these things because the Corinth church was like, you know, Mad Max Thunderdome, right? It was crazy. And he says, and such were some of you, but you have been washed you have been sanctified. You have been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by his spirit. Praise God. You, as far as the east is from the west, your sin has been removed. Just don't run back to it. You are a saint. You are a priest. You are a priestess. You are a child of God. That's where I want to appeal to you because I don't want you in my office in 15 years crying because of X, Y, or Z. I'd rather you come in and let's just go get a hamburger and talk about how we both hate the Braves. That's what I'd rather do. Right? Not even a hint. So if you're dabbling, if you're lingering, go read Proverbs 5 today. Please, read it to your boys. The lips of an adulteress drip honey. It's sweet on the surface. And in the end, your liver is pierced with an arrow. 
and her death, her bed leads to death, to Sheol. That's what Satan does. He takes something good that God has created as good to bring joy, to bring intimacy, and he twists it and he destroys it. But there is a God who redeems, and that is the point of the law, right? The point of the law is you can't keep the law and you needed one who could. And so you have a high priest who can sympathize you, one without sin, one who says there is a throne of grace and you can approach that throne of grace because of what I have done. And so if you're struggling, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just. That's the heart, that you would run to the Lord Jesus, that you would run to the one who gave the law so that you would look to him. And that's my encouragement to you this morning. Run to him. If you've been a lousy parent, you don't need to sit there in your guilt, run to him. If you have been angry and bitter and you've blown things up, run to him. If you failed in this, you run to him and you will find grace and forgiveness in time of need. Once you guys stand and we'll sing, we'll pray. And again, I only encourage you, this, this is a time for you to just let the Holy Spirit work. If you, need to, if you need to stay seated and just kind of think and pray, great. If you need someone to pray for you, there's some folks in the hall. But this is our time to just reflect on simple words that God has given us for our good. Let me pray. Father, you are good. We trust you. We love you. Uh, we know we fail, but we know that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the, the wages of sin and death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ our Savior. And so we're thankful for grace and for hope. Uh, we just pray that you would help us to be priests and peculiar and act like a purchased people. It's for Christ's name's sake I pray, amen.